Hey, you're listening to a podcast from New Life Church in Fort Smith. We would love to connect with you. So find us on Instagram or Facebook at NLC Fort Smith. Enjoy the message. Good morning. How are you guys doing? Y'all doing good? If you love Jesus, say hey, man. Let's put our hands together for him. Come on. I'm glad you made it today. Uh, if you got your Bibles, go to Galatians chapter 2. I thought about like uh, tailoring a message for what we're going through, but we just actually did a whole series on fear. So uh, you can go back and, and, read, uh, and read and listen to that whole series. We did the fear of man, the fear of death, and then uh, uh, Brandon talked about how do you fight fear with the fear of the Lord. You fight fear with fear. You can go back and just kind of build in, uh, your faith. And, uh, uh, but I want to stay in Galatians because I believe this is the most important series we're going to do this year is out of the book of Galatians. We're going to study this uh, book. It takes you about 18 minutes to listen to it. Uh, this is so important that Martin Luther said he betrothed himself to Galatians as if it were his wife. That's a little bit too far. I don't want you to do that, all right, because that's a little weird. But he's like, I would listen to her every day. It is grace versus religion, and, uh, and God wants you to walk in grace. So when we get Galatians chapter 2, we're going to get to see a fight. All right, there have been some great fights in history, right? So there's been some that happened at school. How many of you have ever been in a fight? Raise your hand. You've been into a fight. Who's been in a fight this week? No, just put your hands down. All right. Uh, <laughs> there's been some great fights. I would say Muhammad Ali versus Joe Frazier, the third fight, the thriller in Manila. That probably would be the all-time greatest fight. Okay, uh, it went 14 rounds. Joe Frazier had cataracts in one eye. Um, Ali uh, hit him so hard, the, uh, his left eye was swollen shut. He fought half the fight blind. Isn't that crazy? I mean, that was one of the best. When I was growing up, who remembers Sugar Ray Leonard versus Marvelous Marvin Hagler? Who were uh, Sugar Ray Leonard fans? This, where's my Who were Hagler fans? Oh, man, God. Just, I remember Sugar Ray would do this. I was just a little boy. And then who remembers Tyson uh, versus Holyfield? I freaked out when he bit his ear off. I freaked out. I stood up. I, w I wasted $55 on that fight right there. I remember that. There was a good fight in the Sam's parking lot over some uh, frozen steak fingers uh, on Thursday. That was pretty good in there. But in the Bible, there have been some good fights in the Bible. David versus Goliath. It didn't last long, but it's probably the most popular fight in the Bible. I like uh, the little spat that Mary and Martha got in when Jesus is in the house. and they got, Who's got in a fight in their kitchen? And We had one Saturday, praise God, right? Who's going to cook the fried chicken? Who's going to do the green beans? Who's going to clean up? They got in a fight. Um, we're about to see a, an all-time good one. The Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter get into an argument. And it's one-sided. I love it. I saw a guy, a guy said, we're about to have a conversation, and it's going to be one way. <laughs> he goes, are you serious? He's like, yeah. Like, I'm going to talk. You're going to shut your mouth, and this is going to be a rebuke. This is what we get to see. And it's because, I want you to go to uh, Galatians chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 11. And it's because of this. Romans and Galatians are tied to together. Romans is offense, and Galatians is defense. Romans is Paul saying, this is what the gospel is, and Galatians is Paul saying, this is what the gospel is not. Romans is the LSU offense throwing 60 touchdown passes in a year. Boy, y'all getting excited now. People just dropped off Facebook. All right? So, 
Okay. And then what is Galatians? It's the 1985 Chicago Bear defense. Nobody can score. Okay? That's what Galatians is. Galatians is Paul saying this is what the gospel is not. There's a lot of false gospels out there, a lot of false teaching. And I want you to write this down if you didn't last week. God creates and Satan counterfeits. Satan can't create. So everything that God has ever created to deceive you, Satan has come up with a cheap counterfeit of it. So when there's this gospel that we are saved by grace because of what Jesus has done through our faith and trust in him, Satan goes and says, but let's add some things to it. And the church has been divided, rightfully so, over this because this is what happens particularly in the South. We say Jesus plus something else. And the church has done this throughout church history because it will be like, is Jesus enough? I don't know. So it was Jesus plus let's have this diet. Jesus plus let's wear these clothes. Jesus plus, listen to me, the gospel is Jesus plus nothing. Amen? It's just all Jesus. And so I'm telling you, more than any other fight that we fight in the South, we fight this spirit. More than raising money for buildings, more than walking through sin with people, we walk through. It is so easy to get into a religious spirit. So when Paul goes to Antioch, he sees Peter. And he sees Peter drifting into a religious, superiority, arrogant, religious spirit. And Paul rebukes him to his face. So watch what it says, Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him, how? To his, how many of y'all just appreciate that? He didn't send him an email. He didn't get on social media and just, people going, what are they talking about? Well, I don't understand. It, it was like, to his face, and, and some theologians get upset because they're like, Paul, Paul should have had more class than to write this. This is here because God wants it here. Amen? Wouldn't have made the Bible unless God wanted it in here. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. He says, for before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. Okay? So this is what he does. Peter is living in grace, and then some people came from James, the brother of Jesus, who are still holding on to the old covenant, old law. Now, it wasn't that they were carrying out James's teaching. I'll illustrate this way. How many of y'all remember a few years ago, some people, I, this is right after we started, people took our offering buckets. Some people stole them. And then they went on Rogers and was at the red lights, and they were telling people at the red lights, with our NLC offering buckets, they were saying, we're taking up money for the poor for New Life Church. So then I started getting phone calls. And they were saying, uh, Marcus, are you taking up money for the poor? So I drove out to the intersection of Rogers. And these people who had attended a service had took two of our offering buckets. Our ushers should have tased them. And, uh, and were taking up money at the Walmart parking lot and at the red light there at Rogers. And they were saying, we're from, okay, these are what these guys are saying. They're saying, we're from James. And it intimidated Peter. And so instead of eating with the Gentiles, he started going back to these dietary restrictions of the law. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. I want everybody to say afraid. 
I want you to write this in your notes. Fear. I want you to write it down. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy. So that their now circle this if this is in your notes or in your Bible. I want you to circle this so that by their hypocrisy, oh, even Barnabas. Everybody say Barnabas. That is Paul's right hand man doing missions work with. This would be like me and Brandon been doing ministry for like twenty years together. This would be like all of a sudden Brandon is just drifted off and stray. This had to hurt. He's like, I lost my right hand man. Even Barnabas was led astray. I want you to write this down. Here's the first principle. Number one, the gospel is a culture of grace. It's a culture of grace. Everybody listen to me. Everything God created, he just didn't create it. He created the environment for it to live in. He didn't just create a bird. He said birds live in the air and live in trees. He didn't create fish, right? He created the environment for it to live in. Birds live great in the air. They live terribly underwater, right? Fish live great in the water. They don't live well on land. Amen? It's just simple. Okay. Everything God created, he created an environment for it to live in. You see an Alaskan husky? Uh, they're great in the snow. They don't do well on the bayou, right? We had some people on the bayou with Alaskan husky. It never wagged its tail. It just wanted to die, right? It suffered there. The, everything God created, he created the environment for it to thrive in. Listen to me. For Christians, they thrive in a culture of grace. They spoil in a culture of legalism. You, you see a person that gets a religious spirit, their heart dries up, they have a terrible attitude, they spoil, they rot, and they die. So, so this is the first thing that, that Paul is confronting him on is, you're, you're creating a culture of legalism that causes demonic division, it separates, it distorts the gospel, and, so, and this is what I love about Paul. Paul just doesn't teach, okay? When you have a culture... The culture of your house, you don't just teach. I want you to write this down. You, there's also things that you refuse to tolerate. Amen? So Paul goes, I refuse to even tolerate this. So to his face in public, he rebukes him. Okay, It's like in my house. I, we don't just talk to our kids. We go, there's things in this house we do not tolerate in this house. Okay, I'm not, I, There's some things I'm going to talk to you about. There's other things I'm going to whip your butt about it. Amen? So it's just like, here, number one, you're not going to lie. We, listen, uh, we can't have relationships if I can't trust you, so you don't lie. You lie, I'm going to whip your butt, right? All right? Number two, there's no dishonor, okay? You have dishonor, even God's favor comes off your life. We don't have dishonor. You dishonor your mom, I'm not going to say, oh, I'm so sorry, you dishonored your mom. Tell me why. You, no, I'm going to say, Austin, bend over, I'm going to whip your butt till it falls off your back. That's what we're going to do, Amen. So I'm not, I'm not one of those guys that takes the kids in there and go, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. No, I say, bend over. You're going you to remember this the rest of your life. Amen, right? So this, there are things that we just do not. We don't tolerate hurting other people. We don't tolerate it. There's things we teach, but there, we also teach by saying, I don't tolerate this either. And so there's this whole culture that you, you've got to get. So this is what, what Paul's saying. I refuse to put up with any of that legalistic thinking. When me and Ashlyn, two weeks ago, we walked in this building. It was on a Friday. There was hardly anybody here. I opened the door. 
gosh, it smelt like Guiana, the place of the dead. I'm just like, God, this building stinks so bad. Ashton started gang. She was like, ah, <laughs> ah, just like this. I'm like, we have to find the source of this odor. What is it? So we went to the kitchen to see if food was left out. And we opened up the refrigerators. We can't find it. This building stunk so bad. We went back to the hall. She's like, ah. So we went to Kid Life, and it wasn't in there. We went in the 412 room where all the boys have body odor. It wasn't in there. And so we're, we went to the bathrooms. We're like, where is this at? It stunk so bad. The whole half of this building, you couldn't even walk through it. Finally, the two-year-old room, we opened it, and it almost killed us. All right? Corona, there ain't no coronavirus in there. All right, I'm going to tell you that right now. There was one diaper in that room that had spoiled everything. And we looked at it, and she goes, it's a diaper. And I was like, that kid wasn't dedicated to the Lord. I promise you that right now. That kid, ain't, ain't no redeemed, nobody can do that, you know. It was a hazmat situation. So, so I did what any dad would do. I said, you, you got to get that out of here. You know what I mean? Okay? But... This is what I said. This can't stay in here one more second. It's got to go, right? Got to take it to the dumpster. We got to get out because it spoils everything else. Listen to me. A legalistic, religious spirit spoils the culture of grace. And I'll actually, I want to give you um, what it looks like like this, okay? The spiritual arrogance, the spiritual, it's this, it's, I wrote it down like this. It's law, then fear, then hypocrisy. You see these three things happen. When you build something on the law, then guess what everybody has? This is what Peter had. He gets legalistic, then he was afraid of people, and then the Bible calls them all what? Hypocrites. Everybody who followed him was hypocrites. What does hypocrites do? Write this down. They pretend there's something they're not. It's not real faith. It's just a pretense. It means to be an actor. That's what it means. So anywhere you see this, the law, you're going to see fear and you're going to see hypocrisy. Now watch what happens with the culture of grace. When there's grace, there is a spirit of love. Isn't that right? And when there's a spirit of love, there's right relationship with God. There's right relationship with God. Now let's go back to the, the other side with law. You see a dad who leaves his home like this, he just drops a hammer over everything. He's just like, you're just wrong, and you're going to grow up, and you're going to be nothing. You're going to be nobody. you got to get your life right. you got to. And everything, he drops the big Thor hammer down on every issue. Boom. You know what those kids do? They walk around in a spirit of fear, and then they tell him what he wants to hear. Everything he wants to hear, they just walk around and go, oh, everything was good today, everything was good at school, I never did anything wrong, and they'll be lying and pretending the whole time. Go to the other one. You find a dad that operates in a culture of grace, there is a spirit of love that relaxes everybody. I've been in homes like this where the dad, mom just operates in grace, and the kids will walk up, sit in their lap, and tell them everything. This is where I'm hurting. This is where I've made a mistake. This is the sin in my life. They'll sit in their lap, open up their heart, tell them everything. And even, listen to me, even their friends will do this. It's so weird. You see a home like this, their friends get into this culture, and they just walk around and go, can I tell you what's been bothering me? <laughs> and then the other homes are like, my kids never open up. It's because what culture are you going to have? And if there is something that we will just die for and fight for in this place, 
first of all, we're a place of grace. Amen? We're a place where people can have a second chance. Amen? We're not adding anything to it. It's Jesus, all he's done. Right? And because of that, we walk in love. Right? And because of that, people can get their life right with God and be in relationship with him. It's a, the gospel is a culture of grace. Everybody said Amen. This is what Romans chapter 2 says. The goodness of God leads you to repentance. It's that culture. And I want you to put this down. People feed off of your spirit. You're either going to carry that gracious spirit, people will feed off that, or a legalistic spirit, they're going to feed off of that. Here's number two. Let's just back up from this. This is another reason why this is in here. It's not just to make Peter look bad. Does Peter look bad, yes or no? Yes. Looks terrible. Here's a second observation. Number two, there are no perfect Christians. I love it. I love that mistakes made the Bible. I just love it. And usually when you see them in the New Testament, it's Peter making them. I relate to Peter like, I know, like no one else. People are like, I relate to Jesus. That's who I'm at. Oh, shut up. All right, some people relate to Paul, you know. No, you don't. I relate to Peter because I stick my foot in my mouth, you know. And so when, when I got saved, this is what I thought the, the graph of my spiritual life would look like, okay? Put the graph up. This is what I thought it would be. It's just I got saved, and I just perpetually got better through the life. I got saved and healed and delivered and filled with the Spirit. And we just walked in just this covenantal relationship. And it was just beautiful. And now all the fruit of the Spirit is just hanging off my life. And this is where I changed the whole world and everyone got saved. That's what I thought it would be. This is what it ended up being. All right? This. Who can relate to this? Right? I was doing great. Then I got married, right? And realized I'm selfish, right? And then we, me and Brooke started doing good. And then we had a kid, right? And, so what? and then we had another kid. And it's just up and down and up and down all the way until we ran out of toilet paper in town, right? This is the Christian life. The, the Christian life is two things perpetually happening. I want you to write this down. It's faith and repentance. It's like I'm putting my faith and trust in God. And repentance is a beautiful word. We've made it a bad word. It means I changed my mind. It's like, oh, I learned more about God than I did. It revealed more about myself. And I, I've changed my mind. I'm going to follow you there. And I'm going to trust you there. And that's what it is. And I love this in, the, in Peter's life. Here's Peter's life. I got it right. <laughs> then I got it wrong. <laughs> ah, then I got it right. <laughs> I mean, I love that. <laughs> Goodness, I got it wrong. That, this is what the Christian life is. We get back up and keep following Jesus. Amen? This is what the law is. I want you to write it down. It's either an A or an F. That's what the law is. There were 613 Old Covenant laws. Imagine putting that on the refrigerator for your kids. All right, here's your to-do list. It's only 613. All right? There's no grading on the curve. If you miss one out of 613, you get an F. <laughs> Can you imagine that? It's just like, what am I going to do? You're doing great. And then even on the Sabbath, there was a certain number of steps you could take on the Sabbath. You take one more step, you break the Sabbath. You're like, if I take one more step, I'm going to burn in hell. 
I can amen. Just going to stay right here the rest of the day. You absolutely could not do it. It was absolutely impossible. So somebody did all of that for you in your place. Someone aced it because none of us were going to do it. Amen? And we take his life, his righteousness, his perfection on ourselves. Amen? There are no perfect people. <laughs> Amen? Whew. This is what the Christian life is. I used to think it was a march. It's the cha-cha slide. <laughs> That's what it is. Slide to the left. Oh, goodness. Now i got to slide to the right. All right, number three. Here's the third thing. You live your life to the glory of God. The law was all about dying. Grace is all about living. And the law, you made a mistake and you said, something's got to die. Birds got to die. Doves got to die. Turtle dove got to die. Goats got to die. Lambs got to die. Bulls got to die. That was the law. The law was all about death. But after Jesus laid his life down for us, grace is all about living my life to his glory. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 says this. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Now let me just tell you this. Anybody who's ever received the death penalty didn't get anything on top of that. Okay? So when you've been crucified with Christ, Satan will try to bring condemnation back on you. And you go, ah, oh, <laughs> I've been crucified with Christ. I am crucified with Christ. Now watch what it says. Nevertheless, I do what? I live. It is all about how I'm living. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If there's anything to memorize, it's this one right here. Right to the right of, the, of this in your notes, I want you to write this down. Put this verse back up here. I, I want you to write this down. You need to know that God has, has done something for you, in you, and through you. Number one, this verse tells me God's done something for me. What has he done for me? I just wrote a few things down. He became my substitute. He took my place. He bore my sin. He carried my shame. And then let me tell you something that you've got to get. He imputed his righteousness into you. His, he imputed that. Best way to describe this is about two years ago, I bought a 10-pound ribeye steak. We were having company at the house. And the first thing I did, because I was following this redneck on Facebook, first thing you do is you got to wash it. And then and the next thing you do is you melt a bunch of butter, you melt some garlic, and you sprinkle some slap your mama spice inside of it. And then I put it in the, and I injected all that goodness inside that ribeye steak. Then we deep fried it. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. This is what happened. God didn't just cleanse you of sin and erase your record of wrong. He imputed his righteousness into your life to the degree that when God looks at you, he sees you with the same eyes that he looks at Jesus. He's done some things for me. Amen. Then he's doing things presently in me. I'm in a process. So what is the Holy Spirit doing? He's changing me. He's strengthening me. 
He's healing me. He's setting me free. He's doing some marvelous things within me. He's given me a new heart. He's made me a new creation. It's amazing. Then, so he does things for, in, and through. Everybody through. Some people think grace just means you just kind of sit there. No, grace does stuff. Because God says, I want you to be a means of the story of grace. And I want what God's done in you to go through your life and to other people, okay? Jesus told a quick story of Galatians 1 and 2. Galatians 1 and 2 is Paul taking 23 theological principles about the story of the prodigal son. Number one, we get it wrong. Because it's not just the story of the prodigal son. How many sons were there? Do you remember? There's two sons, right? And one son is out doing works in the field. It's the story of one person who's religious and another person who's rebellious. And the rebellious son walks up to his father and says, whatever you're going to give me when you die, give it to me right now. And the father hands him money, and, he, and then he just goes and he blows it uh, on wild living, the Bible says. No restraints. He's doing, I mean, he's indulging in everything his flesh desires. And then it broke his life, right? And he's laying in a pig pen, and you know what he's starting to think? He's thinking about the culture that he grew up in with that father. And you know what he thought in his mind? There's grace at home. He, there may not be any money left at home. But the thing I need the most is grace. And he goes home and his father is looking for him for two things, okay? So some things we miss because we're not in that ancient Israeli culture. He's, he's doing two things. Number one, he's running out there to show him, I love you and I've been waiting on you to come home. The other thing he's doing in, in that culture, if a rebellious son lived that way, when he got to the city gates, they'd stone him to death. So he was running out there saying, I'm going to protect you and lay down my life for you if I need to, right? And then he puts a, he gives him a bath, puts on new clothes. They throw a party. And the rebellious son is home. But what happened to the religious son? The religious son was offended by grace. He was offended by it. The father extends hope and grace to both of them. He says, look, you can come in too. And he said, I'm not going in that house because I don't want to be around that grace. I want to stay out here and work. And you're going to have to decide which son you're going to be. I'm not going to be rebellious, and I'm not going to be religious. I'm going to be redeemed. Amen? Let's stand on our feet. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. How many of you thank God for the grace he's extended to you? He's a God of the... First chance, second chance, third chance, fifth chance, 150 chance. Amen. He doesn't grade on a graph. <laughs> he grades on grace. Let's just thank him for that. God, we just thank you for the power of your word. We thank you for everything you have done for us. We didn't have to do anything. You did it all. It's you. We come to you our faith and our trust. We rest our lives in your hands, God. I thank you for the work that you are doing inside of us, God. It's this continual work. I'm not what I'm going to be, but I'm not what I used to be, and I thank you for that. You're working in me and through me. You're perfecting things inside of me, and I thank you what you're doing through our lives to love this world. 
whether it's our coworkers, our family, our friends, our city, all across this world, God, work through us for your glory. In Jesus' name.